0: Alright, welcome everybody back to Monster Soundwave. I'm Robert Snow. With me tonight is Evan Barton. This is an unofficial D&D podcast. Uh, We've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about tonight. Um, We're going to talk about what's coming up for the future of Monster Soundwave. Uh, We're going to talk about how Evan and I read D&D books. We're going to just give you our very first, like flipped through it thoughts on fizzvan's treasury of dragons uh but first uh i've been getting into like some other nerdy stuff evan we uh we didn't play D this week we did and not. so so i've been uh i've been like doing some other things that are very dungeons and dragons like and uh I don't know if you have seen, have you seen the new Dune movie yet? I have. I, i really liked it. I've never been into Dune, but I liked this movie. I uh, I don't know if that's a popular take or an unpopular take, but somebody who kind of went in blind, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it gave me some cool D and D vibes, like with like bad guys, but also giant monsters and lots of different languages and, uh, I just, I enjoyed, I heartily nerded out to that uh, when I saw it. Did you like it?
1: I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I read the book. I don't know. It's probably been 20 years since I read it. And I think I've seen, I saw the David Lynch one. It's probably been 15 years since I've seen that one. So it's been a while since I was exposed to it. And coming from that background, I, I quite enjoyed this one.
0: So here's a question as somebody who saw this movie and enjoyed it, should I go back and read the book or watch the old movie? Like, is there any reason to invest my time there or should I just be content with what I have right now?
1: Uh, I'd say you should absolutely read the book. Um, Again, it's been a while since I read it, but I remember quite enjoying it when I did. Uh, As far as the David Lynch movie, I remember it being kind of a giant mess. That while enjoyable, you kind of don't know what the hell is going on. All right. Well, I'll probably skip that then. Uh,
0: some other things. I know you've watched this because we talked about it. Um, and we for our listeners, we're not going to spoil anything here. But I quite loved Midnight Mass on Netflix. Um, did you? And, and I know you like it. But did you get the sense, especially near the end of the show, that like, oh look, here's like our party of adventurers that we have. Like we have this person and that person like kind of filling these roles of like healer and like uh, you know, cleric and strongman and stuff like that. Like did you get that sense?
1: Yeah, I mean I I got the sense of that too, that like you I think you see that in a lot of uh I don't want to give Spoilers necessarily uh, for Midnight Mass, but uh, in a lot of media like that, where you see that, like that, that typical party come about, where, you know, um, because I mean, like the kind of story that Midnight Mass is. Or, or you can say, yeah, you know, it's this kind of story. Just saying that kind of spoils a little bit of the series, so I won't say that. But yeah, like I, I feel like you do see that. But yeah, absolutely, you know, you have, well, you like you do have those like those archetypes of, you know, you have this person is kind of the leader, and you know, this person is kind of like you know the the science person, and etc. And you know that the numbers usually start because it's still horror related. The numbers ah start dwindling pretty quickly. I, I think what I like about that show the most
0: is that like. There's a little bit of a bait and switch because you think, like, oh, maybe these people will be like the heroes of this story. And then it's like, yeah, that, that's, uh, it goes a very different direction. And uh, I enjoyed that. Yep. Um, last thing now, this isn't oldie but goodie, but I've been playing Wasteland 2 on PC. Uh, and that is a turn based strategy game. Where, you're, where you have this party of characters that are going through, uh, like, nuclear wasteland Arizona, um, trying to help people and, like, keep things running. And uh, I've quite enjoyed messing around with the systems there. I've kind of, I've, like, restarted, like, three different times and, like, rebuilt characters to be a little more balanced or a little more focused on things. So I've been enjoying that in my, in my not-doing-Dungeons-and-Dragons time. Um, have you ever played Wasteland? I have not. I'm just going to say I recommend it. It's an old game, but uh, Wasteland 2. I okay. got it on Steam, and uh, I picked it up like during one of the sales, because that's just how Steam is. But right. I hadn't played it, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to jump into this. And uh big fan of XCOM. This makes me kind of feel like, oh, it's like okay. post-apocalyptic XCOM a
1: little bit. So I I quite like XCOM myself.
0: All right. That being said, today marks the beginning of like our our push towards the end of the year with a bunch of books coming out over the next mm-hmm. five or six months. Um, we've got Fizzbands today. Uh, then in December we've got Strixhaven. In January we'll get the the new gift box set, which does have a new book in it: the uh, Monsters of the Multiverse. And then in March. We know that we're getting a uh, call of the nether deep. Not a whole lot of news this week. Uh, a couple of things that uh, we'll talk about is critical role did start their third season, third campaign. not really sure how it works, but I'm sure people who are into critical role already know that. But if you're looking for, if you are interested in watching people play dungeons and dragons and being really into it at a high level and some great storytelling that started this past week. Uh, so probably a good spot to jump in. And then the other thing with which we're going to get into here on dungeon master's guild, uh, wizards has released, uh, worms of the realms, mythic encounters, which is 33 dragons that appeared in dragon magazine over the years. Um, And so it's basically 33 like named dragons uh, from there. And there's also like magic items and other stuff like that. Uh, But we'll talk a little bit about that uh, when we talk about Fizvan. So that's the real big news. Fizvan, Fizvan's treasury of dragons is out today. We both got our copies. Uh, we talked a little bit before the show. We haven't like read them in depth, but anything uh, interesting or that like caught your eye or that you're excited about in here?
1: I really like some of the art. I mean, I've only gotten basically a quick page through, uh, but I mean, you know, I, I well, what I've read so far, I quite like. Um, and I think I've read through a couple of the stat blocks and I think they're pretty cool. I like the gem dragons, which I don't think I've ever read before, so. Um, again, you know, my super quick review is I like what I've, you know, like the, the, the 25 pages I've read so far. So,
0: yeah, I did the same thing. I flipped through it. The thing that I'm like most interested to read and get into is, uh, chapter four, which is layers and hordes. Mm-hmm. And so it, it gives, uh, some different, like, layer ideas and stuff like that. And, uh, i'm I'm excited, and like what is in a different dragon's horde? And they also one of the things that they added in the bestiary in the back is uh, the great worms. And so these are like the most ancient, largest uh, dragons. And there's a fair amount of information about about those. And so it's like a an even harder like if you were looking for something beyond an ancient dragon, Great worms are kind of like the next thing up. So, and the art is great. There's some cool, uh, like maps and stuff in it. But next week we're going to talk all about Fizzbands, uh, treasury of dragons. Uh, we'll get into some of the different like crunchy stuff in there. We'll go over the new monk subclass that's in it also. Um, but while we were on the topic of dragons, uh, I wanted to ask you how you felt about the fact that uh, Worms of the Realms Mythic Encounters, which I'm trying to say, maybe it's not actually published by Wizards, but they're at least promoting it really heavily on like their Twitter pages and on different things like that. Um, do you feel like either 40 bucks for the hardcover premium book or 15 for the PDF. Is that something that like that you're interested in? Or is it like my feeling was like, man, I wish these were just like in the back of Fizz bands. <laughs> like,
1: eh, I mean, I, it's one of those things that I feel like it's, and I guess it's nice to have like the mythic stats for some of these dragons, but at the end of the day, like in a pinch, if you know, if I need stats for any particular dragon, I'm just gonna yank them out of the back of the mo- you know, y- yank them out of the back of the monster manual. You know, if you need an adult black dragon stats, you're just gonna pull in a adult black dragon stats. And if I want to customize it, I'm perfectly capable of customizing it myself. You know, throw in you know, a couple of different some spell casting or you know, a couple of unique abilities. So I mean, it's cool that they made the book, but like. At the same time, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, it's not super necessary, so I don't begrudge them for not including it. Um, So I can see why, you know, they would charge extra for it. And so, you know, I'm sure there are some cool things in there. So, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, I wouldn't purchase it, but um, looking at it, it doesn't look like it's an official Wizards thing. I might be mistaken, but it looks like this is probably a uh, secondary or... uh, a group of people it looks like ed greenwood who is kind of wizards adjacent i guess you'd describe him um so probably they had wizard's blessing to do this so they got their permission and they're probably promoting it but i don't imagine they ever had plans because i'm seeing a lot like they they seem to be doing a lot less stat blocks for uh monsters and npcs these days i mean if you look at back all the way back to van richten's guides like they weren't really even unique stats for a lot of the Dark Lords. They were just generic a lot of generic uh monster manual stat blocks. So I'm thinking we're gonna see a lot less unique stat blocks. Or, you know, that's at least my uh my uh take, my feeling from what we've seen so far. But who knows?
0: Yeah. And and that may have to do with kind of the change that's coming in twenty twenty four. I I'm reluctant to call it the new edition, although that that's what they have like titled it as. Um, But they've also said that everything from fifth edition will still be usable in the new edition. So uh you know, whatever that changeover looks like, I wonder if maybe like right now, trying to limit although they've got another monster book coming in January and yeah and I mean, they've got two years of content before before we get to like the reset, if you will. So uh, five five, it's it's not like they're going to be like, yeah, we're not going to have any stat blocks over the next two years because we don't want to mess with five five or sixth or or whatever edition it's going
1: to be. So I yeah, I I expect. Oh, you know, I you know what? Honestly, I don't know. So I'm not going to speculate on you know because I don't think we have enough really concrete knowledge to do anything other than speculate right now and so you know i guess we'll wait and see we will definitely wait and see okay so
0: our big topic of the show today is uh how to read a D book and we're going to break that down into three different categories for for our for you listeners so we're going to talk first about um player's handbook and some of the player's handbook adjacent books that we call splat books um and that means that there's just like all sorts of stuff in it and then we'll talk about uh reading through a campaign setting uh which is another type of book and then we'll talk lastly about uh reading through an adventure book and just kind of how we do it and then you know kind of some some thoughts if you're whether you're playing in a game or if you're DMing a game and maybe some of the different routes you would take. So, um Evan, uh let's start with the player's handbook. If somebody was picking up the player's handbook, maybe they haven't played Dungeons and Dragons in a long time, maybe they, you know, went to their first 5th edition game, they played, they've enjoyed it and they've decided to get the PHB Uh, where would you, uh, how would you recommend somebody start going through that book?
1: Well, uh, I would actually tell them to start by asking them, you know, say, first of all, don't try and read it to cover to cover. I think that's kind of a fool's errand. Um, unless like, you know, you, that's just how you have to understand something because there are people who, you know, that is how they learn. They want to read something cover to cover and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Uh, so I think, you know, that that's one method to do it. I think a better method though, is, you know, divided by interest. You know, if, you know, if, if you are a player, you know, and all you want to do is your favorite class is druid and you're playing a druid right now. And so far, that's the only interest you have in D and D is playing a druid. Uh, then I'm gonna say, okay, you know, it's probably gonna be useful for you to read the PHP section on Druid, which, if you're playing a Druid, you've probably already done. I'm also probably gonna recommend that you go in the back and take a look at the, uh, the the Druid spells. Um, that's gonna be useful for you to have that point of reference. Um, point out the combat section, you know, having some rules in there. Like, read that part, you know, read the parts that pertain to your class, divide it up like that. That way, instead of trying to read, you know, 300 (laughs) pages, you're only trying to read, you know, 40 or 50 pages total, yep. and that makes it a lot more manageable. And then, you know, maybe if in that process you decide, you know, you happen to read a bunch of uh, cleric spells soon, you say, hey, you know what, maybe at some point I want to be a cleric. Well, you know, you can go through and read the cleric class and go from there. And, you know, in the process you decide, hey, you know, clerics and paladins are kind of similar. At some point, maybe I want to be a paladin. You can, you know, go through and read that. At a certain point, you know, as you do that, you'll read most of the PHB over time, as you get interested in other things. Or maybe you won't. Maybe the only part you'll ever read is the Druid. And then, you know, maybe a year and a half later you decide, you know what, I want to play another class now. And you'll read that, those parts then. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, that's and that's the thing, is I think, you know, you have to find a method that works for you. And I think that's how I would recommend doing it, is you know, work on the parts that are applicable to what you're doing. And, you know, do those. Um, and that's if you're a player. If you're DMing or you know, you want to DM that's kind of a different thing um then i would say that again i don't necessarily think trying to read it cover to cover is the best way to go about it but i think you probably want to start more in the beginning and then uh kind of glance through the classes get a better idea of which what of each class can do but i don't i don't think even necessarily reading each class back to back is super helpful um but yeah like having a basic idea of what they can do
0: i think if you're a dm i think. Probably getting an overview of the classes is good. And then once you have your party in front of you, like after session zero or session one, like if you have a a cleric, a fighter, um, a sorcerer and a rogue, I would read through those four classes right. and be like, Oh, this is like the type of stuff that they right. get to do. And you don't even have to read like, Oh, at 15th level, they get this. How does right. that work? Like, you don't have to know how that works. If you're dealing with a level one party, because they're, yeah. they're not going to jump 14 levels before you get to that. So, yeah. um, I think also that chapter eight and nine, the adventuring chapter and the, uh, combat chapter, those are pretty essential for yeah. the DM to read. uh, maybe even more so than the dungeon master's guide, like just read adventuring in combat because especially the combat section because right. combat can just slow everything down to, a crawl. you know, if you have a group that is really loving your setting or really loving your story or, or the adventure that you're in, And then every time you get to combat, it's like, oh, I have to look that up. Oh, I have to look that up. Oh, I don't know how that works. Oh, I don't know how that works. And I would say even for our group, who has been playing 5e for a long time together, who's been playing Dungeons and Dragons for a really long time together, combat is still probably like 90% of the time. If we have to stop and look something up, it's because, oh, how does that spell work? Or, oh, like... Are you allowed to do? Are you allowed to move that way and still do this other thing that you want to do? Um, so I think there's stuff like that that, like, as a DM, you just need to know. Hey, combat might be a little bit slower. If the more that you know the rules, the faster it's going to go. Yeah. Um, because if you have to look it up or your players have to look it up every time, that's going to slow things
1: down. Yeah. And, no. you know, oh, go ahead. No, so no, don't, no. Be a, don't be afraid to also like photocopy things too and make yourself like reminders and note cards and things too. Like uh, the condition chart I feel like is out of the PHP is useful to make a copy of and have that in front of you because not having to flip to that every five minutes, every time somebody gets grappled or restrained or something can be extremely helpful. Right. In fact, I think that's on most uh, DM yes. screens. But yeah, like if information I, like that, having that at your fingertips is super useful and can help prevent you from having to flip through a book for five minutes trying to find, you know, what, you know, do you have disadvantage if you're uh, grappled or, you know, it, does the poison condition give the enemy advantage on attacks against you? Yeah, I think
0: that if you're, uh, if you're a new DM or if you're an old DM, if you're DMing a game, having a good Dungeon Master screen in front of you is totally worth the 10 to $15 that you're going to spend on it. And so whether that's just getting like the basic one, uh, that comes, I think like in the, in the like original, like, you know, box set, Mm -hmm. like, or if you get one for a specific campaign or adventure, uh, I think having a good screen in front of you that covers a lot of the stuff that you need is, really helpful so that you're not slowing down and going oh let me look that up let me look that up um all right so what about our other uh splat books we've got and we might split these into like two categories but we've got uh tasha's cauldron of everything we've got xanathar's guide to everything uh we've got the dungeon master's guide and then we've got our monster books which are
1: Maybe slightly separate, yeah um, but i feel I feel like monster books are maybe easier to like to say how to read, in that you know you read them based on the monsters you find the most interesting, like or, or like you know again, if you're the kind of person who likes to read things cover to cover, I feel like you can get maybe more if you, again, if you're a dungeon master out of reading it cover to cover, but again, you know, if you know you're a really big undead guy. And go through and read all the undead first or you know if you're you know if you're getting ready to run uh uh storm king's thunder and you know you that setting has a whole bunch of giants in it and you have Volos guide to monster it's probably makes sense that you're going to want to read the giant section in that book but before yeah. the others like yeah this- i
0: think i think that makes a lot of sense like if you want to run like a dinosaur heavy campaign flip to the dinosaur section and read through it. But I really treat the monster books almost more like an index, you know? It's yeah. like, flip to the index, find what you want. There's probably some good, like, you know, grunt-type minions, like, nearby in the book. Yeah. And so, you know, f- find the things that you need
1: and, uh, you know, roll with that stuff. The, um, uh, the CR chart is also super useful there because I feel like more often than not, at least when I'm running, it's less that I'm looking for a monster alphabetically. At least when I'm designing encounters, from a DM's point of view, it's more like, okay, the party is eighth level. I need, you know, a CR nine or a CR eight encounter. And so, you know, you look through and it's like, okay, these are all the monsters I can pull up. Okay, da, 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 da. oh, an alip, or you know, or you know, uh, an owl bear, like that fits the bill. And so, you know, you just go to that immediately, as opposed to having to go through and look. Okay, you know. Looking through and each because you know, just going through alphabetically isn't terribly useful if you know, okay, I need a cr, whatever creature, or you know, even by environment, like okay, the party is currently on the ocean, what are some useful ocean monsters? And so, you know, having those different uh, well, though you know, the problem there is you know, that at least for the monster manual, all of those different indexes are found in the dungeon master's guide, at least with uh. Some of the other monster books, those indexes are found within the books themselves. That's a separate point.
0: Yeah. So um, now for the Dungeon Master's Guide, do you for somebody who's maybe a new DM, would you recommend the DMG as something that they should have? Is it something that they should read before they start DMing? Like, what should they read before they start DMing?
1: Before they start, honestly, the only thing they need to read before they start DMing is, you already mentioned, is the stuff in the PHB about how to run combat and things like that. Because most of the stuff in the DMG is a lot more esoteric about, like, how to build, like, campaign worlds and how to change rules and things like that. I mean, there's really useful stuff in there, but for somebody who's just, I want to run a session of D&D for a group of friends, I don't think there's anything that's like, no, 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 you have to have the Dungeon Master's Guide. Like, and I have to look up this piece of information to do that. Like, there's there's useful stuff in there. Like, the magical items, I think, would be useful to be familiar with in the DMG more than anything else. But even that, I mean, you don't even have to be super familiar with that ahead of time. I mean, you just have to know, okay, this is a section for magical items. This is where I can find them and you know okay there's a you know the chart that i can roll off of to know what the different items are
0: yeah, honestly
1: and... um let's say i don't think i even that's like i most um uh, or at least this is going back to uh third edition i hadn't read the dungeon master's guide or haven't even cracked it until i had been running D for a year probably yeah
0: i think that if you're gonna build your own campaign world or you're going to write your own adventure that, that the DMG is, is pretty valuable. Right. But I think with the amount of like setting guides or campaign setting books that we have and the number of adventures that we have, that if you're a new DM, it's probably more worth your money to look at all the different adventures that are out there, pick the one that, you think sounds the most fun to run and buy that book yeah, rather than buying the DMG because the dungeon master's guide while cool and, and while it has some awesome stuff in it and some helpful things in it, I don't know that it is going to be, I think that a new DM might open it and be like, Oh man, here are all these tables for how to build this and how to write a story. And, create a multiverse and etc etc and it's like they may be overwhelmed by it and it's yeah. like did you know that if you just want to run like a feywild campaign there's a new book called wild beyond the Witchlight that is for you know characters level one through eight that you can just buy and it kind of tells you everything you need right. to know
1: <laughs> like although you know frankly like if, if you're a new dm like your best bet is to get either the essentials kit or the starters kit, the, the, you know, the starter set, because I mean, in that, like, even there, you don't even need to worry about buying the PA, you know, the monster manual or the PHB. You've got everything you need right there. Without having to worry about the additional, but I mean, that's a kind of a separate thing, but, um, cuts down on the clutter. And you don't, again, like, you don't have to touch the other books, and you've got all the core information right there. And you doing that, you're going to learn all the important information without having to uh, touch the DMG. Yeah. OK,
0: so let's tackle campaign settings next. Uh, now, our campaign settings that have been put out there outside of like what's covered kind of in the PHB, is we've got Eberron rising from the last world war. war. We've got uh, the Ravnica one, which is Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Um, let's see, which other ones are, like, set. well, we've got uh, Van Ricken's Guide to Ravenloft, which is more of a setting book. Um, which other ones would you consider? Oh, Mythic Odysseys of Theros is definitely a settings book. Explorer's Guide to Wildemont uh, is more of a settings book acquisitions incorporated is kind of this weird mix of things yeah and we're going to talk about that here when we get to when we get to adventures um am i missing other any other like setting specific books right now
1: like sword coast adventurer's guide
0: yeah sword coast adventurer's guide is definitely more of a setting book than and it also it's it's somewhere in between like a splat book and a yeah, and a campaign setting, and that's where I feel like um what's the best way to put this so it it felt as though in three point <laughs> five I'm gonna go back to three point five mm-hmm. that's where we started. That's yep. where I started. I love it. There were books that were designed for characters for for player characters to buy. And there were books that were designed for dungeon masters to buy. Yep. And they were pretty separate and never the twain should meet, you know, <laughs> and and, yep. and some of them were very specific. It was like, oh, here's like martial combat. And like, here's like, you know, here's the divine magic book, you know, like, yeah. um, or the complete divine. That's what they call them. It was like the complete Marshall Handbook, The Complete Divine, The Complete Arcane. It was like, these are how you expand on your character for these types of characters. And now, what we're seeing, even with Fizz bands with Wild Beyond the Witchlight, just a little bit, not as much, but with a lot of the books, is uh, like the first chapter of the book is like some player character stuff. You know, here's some new races, maybe here's a new class or some new options for a class but then the rest of the book is an adventure that is designed for the dm to read and for you to play in but with our with our campaign settings i don't know that there's as much uh to like give away um like it, it's not like you're going to spoil your campaign or your game necessarily by reading through something like Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica because it's not a, hey, here's like 10 chapters of adventuring and, you know, chapter 10 is the final boss. It, it really is kind of setting up the world a little bit more. Um, So how would you, how would you have somebody like go through um, a campaign setting book.
1: Well, I guess it's kind of a difficult question to answer, and you know, I give I give the unhelpful advice. It depends on the campaign setting, but ah, uh, honestly, I would say, um, depending on the campaign setting of you know, okay, what you know, what is it about the campaign setting that you're interested in? I go back to that, you know, you know, are you, are you, you know, are you going, are you a DM who is going to be running a campaign in this world? If so, you know, you're probably going to want to start. you know, read a lot of it, but you're going to probably want to focus on the part of, the, you know, the part of the world you're going to want to, you know, how much of the world do you know? If you know nothing about it, and all you know is you want to set, you know, your campaign here, you're probably going to want to read most of the book if you already know a lot about it, a lot about it, you're probably going to want to focus in on, you know, the part of the world or the part of the book that deals with the most the campaign you're going to be all uh, sitting in, you know, so say if you're reading, uh, what's an example? Oh, say, you know, you're going to do, um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. And, you know, you want more uh, information about the Sword Coast. Well, if you know that 90% of your campaign is going to take place in Waterdeep, it's that you know, you can, when you're reading the, uh, Adventurer's Guide, you know the uh, Sword Coast Guidebook. Probably you're going to want to read a lot about Waterdeep and the surrounding area. A fair, you know, a fair amount of information on that. But you know, maybe you don't. Maybe you already know a lot about Waterdeep. Maybe you know there you don't know nothing else about the surrounding region. You don't know anything about the other major cities in the Sword Coast. So you want to read those too. So you know, you start you know by asking questions about. Um, I'll find out where the gear gaps are, you know, go from there rather than trying to read the entire setting. And maybe, you know, things that may not be terribly useful to you that you might find interesting. But, you know, that's that's kind of my whole thing is, you know, don't burden yourself by reading stuff that isn't going to be terribly useful or productive to what you're trying to do. At, at first, at least, because, you know, nobody has, uh, as much as we love reading D&D books and as much as fun as it can be, nobody has unlimited time to sit and read through hundreds of pages when, you know, you're trying to run a D&D game or trying to plan and trying to do a bunch of other stuff. So, you know, try and make the get the most out of your time and focus in on the stuff that's important.
0: Yeah, I think that that is a really good, like, key for if you're going to run a game in a different campaign setting like Eberron or Ravnica. I think that getting the book then makes sense. Um, It tells you, you know, you can read through the whole history and all the different factions and all, you know, get the map of the continent and stuff like that. I think that those are like beneficial things for the DM to read and, you know, to share a little bit with the players or, or, you know, maybe players are, we'll glance through it on like game night or something. Or if you're running stuff online, maybe there's like some feats or like some, you know, alternate racial features or something that they want to pull from there so that their dwarf or, you know, whatever race they choose fits a little bit better in that campaign setting. Um So I think there's a benefit there. I think really with that, it's just how much time do you have? Cause I think that with, like, Eberron in particular, I feel like, man, if you have the time to just read through all of the stuff, like, all the history type stuff and all the different, like, you know, um, like, to read about that world and become a, more of an expert on that world, like, before you run a game there, that's great, you know, um, and... I would say that most people who want to run an Eberron campaign are not people who are like what's Eberron I've never heard of it right. like they've probably been like oh it's kind of like a steampunky like uh like not post apocalyptic but you know it's uh it's kind of like a steampunky type version of a fantasy world and so there's you know robots and there's you know other stuff like that in there that they're probably going to want to read a fair amount of the Eberron campaign guide before they before they go, okay, everybody roll characters, like um, now adventure books in particular, I feel like have gone gone down the road of being like there's stuff for party members but then there's a whole lot of stuff that the party should not read like, and should not see before they start um uh with and i don't feel like it was as bad at the beginning like uh when i think about um what was the one tomb of annihilation is uh like one of my favorite adventures and i didn't think that there was actually anything in that book for players until i realized that there are two backgrounds at the back of the book that they can choose but I would almost say uh, like I'm not even going to tell my players about that unless they unless somebody says, man, I really wanted to be an archaeologist and I can be like, OK, well, there's actually a background for that. Let me tell you about it. But I think, you know, with that book, it's like if you're a player and somebody says, hey, I want to run Tomb of Annihilation, there's no reason for you to get Tomb of Annihilation because you're just going to be playing in their world like and and you should let the DM kind of guide the story. Um we're playing Curse of Strad right now. And I very specifically, once I knew we were playing that, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna read Curse of Strad. I'm not gonna look anything, you know, I'm not gonna look anything up about Curse of Strad. I'm not gonna I bought Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft in the middle of playing Curse of Strad and I was like, I'm not gonna read this book, not until we're done, because I don't want to get spoiled on anything. I just I want to play the game and uh It's hard to say. Like I won't, I won't know until I play Curse of Strahd again someday, which I may never do. I'm not sure. Like it's kind of like I don't know. It's it's so dark and dreary that it's, and I love it so much. But I'm kind of it's it's almost like one of those movies where it's like I couldn't look away, but I don't know if I'll ever put it in the DVD player ever again. Or sorry, that's like a pretty dated term now, I guess, but. I think that there's a benefit to saying, like, hey, if we're going to run an adventure as a party, I'm going to let the DM tell me what I need to know, you know. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to be like cruising through the book and trying to figure out, like, oh, it seems like, you know, there's going to be a lot of insight checks in this book or, you know, it seems like knowledge religion isn't going to come up at all because we're playing in the Feywild. And so you know maybe i won't need that at all in this book like i think that i would try to f- separate myself from from the adventure as much as possible before right. before playing the game you know
1: right Makes and sense. then
0: you know if somebody's running their own homebrew world that's that's their benefit is that like hey no nobody knows anything about this place except for me and my and my hard drive where i've written you know Hundreds of pages of notes. So, when you now let's talk about being a DM reading through an adventure book. When you get an adventure book as a DM, what do you like to do first? What, how do you like to read through it? Is this a cover to cover type thing for you?
1: Uh, no, I typically don't start cover to cover with an adventure. Usually, what I do is um i start with a flip through to a quick you know start you know by reading like the first couple of pages and then i do a flip through and then i usually read like the first chapter then i go through to the very end and you know read like the last little bit of the last chapter you know and check and see and i when i'm doing a flip through i check and see if there's a flow chart it gives me an idea of how the adventure is paced a little bit um this is maybe even before be before I've bought it necessarily, you know, if I'm looking at it in a bookstore, you know, if I'm looking at it, you know, if I can look at it like a summary online or something, this is just to gauge interest, because so I really want to see a flow chart. if anything else to get an idea of, you know, how does, you know, how does this adventure work? You know, is it a sandbox? Uh, you know, is it super linearly? Um, you know, what's, you know, basically, organization questions like that. And, you know, once I get that and, and kind of in between like the flip through and having read the first part and the last part and have some basic idea of, you know, how it starts and how it ends and how it fits together, then I can then I'll probably go through and read it cover to cover because once I've read the first part and the last part, I've got a basic idea of how it's going to play out. And from there, I generally know if I'm going to run it or not. Um, and so if I'm, you know, if I know that I am going to run it, then I th- that's when I'm going to read it off uh, cover to cover. And maybe even not necessarily then, you know, because I mean, if it's super sandboxy and, you know, if I've already glanced through it a little bit and been like, OK, you know, this part's going to have to be cut out. I may, you know, just glance through that part and omit that or I can be like, OK, you know, I'm not going to run this adventure having all gone through this. But this one part right here is actually really good. So I'm just going to read this part. Ah, uh, Or, you know, this whole thing is really good. But this one part right here is really lousy. So um, I'm not going to bother running this. And so just, you know, that's why I think that first uh, kind of page through is really important. And that kind of gives you an idea. And then, you know, especially reading like that first chapter, because again, like a good first chapter in an adventure tells you how things are going to play out. And like that last chapter too, like that's, that's important too, because that kind of gives you an idea as well. Okay, because I mean, like, especially if you're running it, there's like, First of all, if you're a DM, you're not worried about spoilers. That gives you some idea of, like, how things wrap up and how they conclude, and uh, you know, the path the party has taken to get there. Um, and the index is important as well, but basically, um, at some point, I'll do a cover-to-cover read, but it's always the last step, and generally speaking, I've already read about a third of the book by that point, having gone through and read individual parts. And, uh, And depending on the adventure, like I'm trying to think, uh, because I mean, if it's a more sandboxy adventure, I may go through and pick and choose parts that I read, like one part at a time as you know, as I think, oh, that one's a lot more interesting. I'm going to start with that one. Or, you know, oh, the party is going to be way more likely to go here first. So I need to know this one, like the back of my hand, as opposed to Yeah, there's no way they're going to go here. So I'm just going to read through this one once or, you know, skim through it quickly just as long as I'm familiar enough with it, but I don't need to know it super well.
0: So Excellent. let me ask you a question. You mentioned something like, is is the adventure more sandboxy or is the adventure more linear? Um, and I feel like they've kind of, with the adventure books, it's become a very broad, uh, like, um, broad category, where you do have some of these books that are, Almost like a campaign setting, but but there is like a, a through story that goes through it, and then you have ones that are like either a one shot adventure type set of books, or or really just like a dungeon crawl type set of books. Um, if if you were gonna recommend something to a new DM, uh, where would you? Where would you have them go first? Would you have them go to something that's a little more open? Or would you try to get the? Would you recommend something that's a little more linear? That's a little more focused?
1: I would recommend something that's a little bit more linear. Just because I feel like a sandbox can potentially overwhelm a new DM.
0: So would you say something like Dragon Heist? Or maybe like Out of the Abyss would be something better than... Say something like, uh, like, I don't know, something like Icewind Dale or Storm King's Thunder.
1: I mean, and it's, it's the individual, uh, DM's taste as well, but maybe I, I would say I would probably recommend Dragon Heist more so than those, um, or the uh, Lost Mind of Fandelver. I mean, I would recommend Lost Mind of Fandelver over, uh, Storm King's Thunder, just because it's, you know, that's a lot more straightforward. And like, and it's, especially for like an early DM where you may not be used to like having to control pacing and having to know, because like, again, you know, in a linear adventure, you don't necessarily have to know everything at once. You just have to know that next step. And you can kind of handle, you know, okay, you know, I'm at A right now, I'm no B. I'm not sure sure about C, but I don't have to worry about C right now because I'm still at A. Whereas a sandbox, it's like, okay, I'm at A right now, and uh, I know B, but we might be at B, C, D, E, F, or G, depending on what the party does next. And I have no way of knowing that. And so there's always going to be that discomfort. Aww. yeah. And so I feel like that that can kind of throw you off a little bit. And so you don't have that problem necessarily with a linear adventure. But on the flip side of things, you know, a new DM... Might, uh, that might also, you know, limit them somewhat, and they might feel kind of trapped by that linearness. And might, you know, like then when I get in, get get to a sandbox adventure, might feel, you know, that that's not something they're comfortable running. So it's always, you know, that that person's choice. So what do I know?
0: I think, I think you know a lot because you've been DMing for a long time and you've run a fair amount of adventures, even in, even in 5e at this point. Um, so let me, let me ask you my final question about adventure books really fast. Curse of Strahd, because I've never read it, and so I don't know. Would you say that it's a little bit more sandboxy or a little bit more linear?
1: Curse of Strahd is absolutely very sandboxy.
0: Yeah, because that's kind of what I was feeling, because there are a lot of options on where to go and what to do.
1: And uh, I think we haven't thrown you off too much um, Um, (laughs) without giving anything away like the cool thing about that adventure and going all the way back to like AD&D when they originally printed it you know with that original version of Ravenloft the thing that sets it up is you do that card reading at the very beginning of the game that tells you where the items are and that kind of sets the tone for where the party will be going because like it's a sandbox where like you drop the party off in this you know this nightmare realm full of all these awful creatures and then you know you do the card reading that kind of points them in a direction so yeah it's a sandbox but like you as a dm think okay well i know where the items are and so that's a general idea that the party's gonna be moving in those directions but then again who knows because they may decide to do something completely different but so there, yeah it's a sandbox but there you know you have some idea of where things are going at least
0: yeah for sure all right so uh that kind of covers our how to read a and book uh, topic for the show. We hope you enjoyed this. Hopefully this was beneficial to you. Uh, really, at the end of the day, you, you can read the book however you want. Um, I would not recommend reading a splat book cover to cover. I think you'll get bored very quickly and you won't get to the stuff that you're most excited in. Uh, adventure books. I think are easier to read cover to cover, but. Uh, you may want to, you know, go and read the ending first before you before you buy the book if you're in the bookstore just to see if, you know, it's something that you want to run as a DM. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit. Now, this is, like, totally unprepared. And so if I just cut this section out and go straight to, like, our closing, then we will. But I'd like to keep it in. Um, what we're going to talk about is kind of what's coming up next for Monster Soundwave. So next week is pretty easy. We're going to do Fizzman's Treasury of Dragons. That'll be our next show. And then I think we're going to jump into kind of because we have a little bit of a break before lots of new classes come into play. At least it doesn't feel like there's going to be lots of new classes in play between now and March is going through each uh, D&D class and talking about, um, you know, why we like to play them or why we like to DM for them. Um, good ways to role play through for those classes, um, you know, and kind of the role that they serve in the party, if they're going to be in the party. Um, and I think what we're going to try to do is maybe pull in a different person each week uh, who is passionate about that class, about that D and D class uh, to share with us, and we'll talk about a bunch of the different subclasses that are available. Uh, so I think that's kind of like the next arc of the show. Um, obviously, we'll take a break when um, Strixhaven, Strixhaven, or Curriculum of Chaos comes out. Yeah, so we'll we'll make we'll still cover that. Uh, but I think that what we'll be doing is going through each class uh, one by one, maybe alphabetically, but it may just be hey, who can we get to join us who's passionate about this class or who at least is willing to talk about it uh, when it comes to the Ranger and other things. I've played a Ranger. I, I I, love the Ranger. I don't know that I love the 5E Ranger. And it's, <laughs> it's the greatest. It, it's the bright beacon of hope for 5.5 edition slash 6 edition. Whatever's coming in 2024. Hopefully it involves the ranger being good at something better at something than some other classes just right now. Uh, they're just not. <laughs> um, But we'll get to that when we get to the ranger discussion and I can share my thoughts on that. Um, So Evan, how does that sound to you? Are you interested in me? Very much so. Yeah. So Evan, do you have a, a favorite class to either play or
1: DM for in 5e? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I know, going back to earlier editions, my favorite was always the wizard. In 5e, I think I might be partial to the bard in terms of class that I played that I like. And in terms of DMing, I do like the bard, but I don't know that there's any specific class that, like, oh, man, that's my favorite to DM for. I think
0: my my favorite class in general is the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like playing the Barbarian. Uh, and at some point I want to play like a Wild Magic Barbarian or whatever the one that came out in Tasha's was. But um, that's definitely something I want to play. Although I've I really enjoyed my cleric and and I'm enjoying my Ranger right now. So Maybe I don't have as much of a, a favorite as I thought. Um, as far as DMing classes, whatever has the least amount of spells that the person who's playing it doesn't understand is my favorite <laughs> class to run for. <laughs> like, Which means that for some people, they can play a wizard and they might be the person who, you know, that might be fine. You know, and it might be somebody who's a ranger who has like nine spells like total available to them. And if they don't know what those do, then I'll prefer the wizard who has like 180 spells memorized in their (laughs) in their brain. Uh, You know, I'd rather DM for that. But anytime I don't have to look up a spell for a player, I'm a big fan. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps us up for tonight. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of monster Soundwave, wave, a D and D an unofficial D and D podcast. We'll be back next week with our initial thoughts on Fizban's treasury of dragons. And I think we might discuss layer actions and legendary actions next week. Heaven. I think that might, there's, there's a lot of layers and a lot of legendary resistances, legendary actions. I think we might get into that. And, uh, you know, talk maybe a little bit about some of those boss monster type things because dragons definitely serve as a boss monster, I feel like. They do it that. It, it it's rare that we're like, and then a giant dragon appears. But this is just, you know, this is just an everyday thing yeah. in your D
1: D campaign. Um I, so. I don't I don't think it's ever just a dragon.
0: <laughs> Sometimes it's two dragons. <laughs> <laughs> no it's the dragon yeah (laughs) all right well thank you all uh we hope you enjoyed it and we'll talk to you guys later have a great night